You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 13, 10 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the disciples came up and asked him, why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it, is, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking, they do not see, and hearing, they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Well, good morning. For those of you who are first-time guests, we uh, welcome you this morning, and uh, we pray that a word would be spoken uh, or sung that will enrich your life in, in Christ. My name is Jamal Williams, and I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn uh, Midtown, and we are, are thrilled that you would join uh, with us today. We pray that you will make yourself uh, known. Uh, let us know that you're here. We have connect cards inside your, the front backs of your seat, um, and we also have a table in the back where uh, we'll have someone who is working here who would love to connect with you after service as well. Uh, well, family, we just finished up a series called Dangerous Prayers, Dangerous Prayers. And I was really uh, personally encouraged by the series in my own life, praying prayers that I uh, haven't prayed enough, and uh, also encouraged to receive a, a number of messages from members and people who got to experience that series on how the Lord was forming them and, and growing them and convicting them through that series. So uh, we want to continue to pray those dangerous prayers. It's not a prayer that we just pray for January. We want to pray that the Lord will search us, 
that the Lord would break us, um, that the Lord uh, would unite us, and that the Lord would send us over and over and over again because we believe that's what he desires to do. And so I know some of you are here today and there's some heavy things on your heart and on your mind. Some of you are, are holding on uh, by a thread. Uh, some are, are discouraged. Some of you are in the best season of your life. Uh, whatever uh, place you find yourself in this morning, my prayer is that this, the Lord would meet you where you are. And not only that he will meet you where you are, but that he will take you uh, to a, a greater depth in him. And so I'm going to pause and pray, and then we're going to dive into the word, and we'll go from there. Father, I thank you for allowing us to gather together to hear your word. I pray, Father God, that we would have uh, a belief in you that goes past the belief that demons have in you. As James says, uh, demons believe that there is a God. I pray, Father God, that you would have allow us to have faith that, that goes past just intellectual ascension and agreement, but that places one's weight in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father God, for the hearers here today who are just here out of habit, who didn't come expecting you to show up, who didn't come realizing that you are at work, Father God, that you would allow uh, your, the seed of your word to be planted in good soil so that we can, we can bear much fruit. I pray, Lord, that you would just take uh, this brick and mortar and you would place it in our, our house of faith so that one more piece to our faith and our maturation is given a day. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us not to reject your implanted word, but help us to receive it with humility, being slow to speak, quick to listen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if I wanted to divide this room, to separate this room, um, I know that there are a few things that I could say uh, that would do that automatically off rip right away. Uh, one of those things is simply by asking you the question, um, should evangelicals support President Donald Trump? That's weighty. Everybody like, man, you're going for it, aren't you? It's a little early, brother. You're, going, you're just going to go ahead and go for it. Okay. But instantaneously, a spark is going to happen. Discussion is going to take forth and there's going to be kind of a, a separation. Um, I can ask a, another question like, who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time in basketball? LeBron James last night uh, passed Kobe Bryant, all-time leading scorer, became number three. I can ask that question, and for those who care about basketball, a uh, debate would take place. Uh, I remember uh, being in Lansing, Michigan, leading a worship service, and I brought that up. And instead of uh, LeBron or, or Kobe versus MJ, I said, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson? It's back in the early 2000s. And I emphatically said, of course, it's Michael Jordan, only to find out later that Magic Johnson's parents were present. <laughs> He's from Lansing, Michigan, where I went to college. Instant separation instant. Or I could ask the question for my Louisville uh, residents and natives, who has the best coffee in the city? 
Mm -hmm. I see y'all idols, everybody like, oh, no, it's definitely quills, right? Like, we're going to be broken up. Quills, Sunagas, Safai. Some of y'all are going to say, Heine brothers, to which you will be rebuked. (laughs) Uh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. God bless your heart. Amen. I'm just joking. (laughs) If you work there, uh, come see me after service. Got a free gift card to you to Quills. Amen. (laughs) But instant things that you could say to just kind of separate. And Jesus' ministry was one in which he would often draw the crowds in. And then at the moment where the disciples would expect him to preach his best sermon or to bring this unifying message where everybody would just go crazy about him and numbers would continue to grow. It seems like every time, uh, or, or especially in the Gospels, the crowds got big and started to swell. Rather than preach with clarity and, 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 and authority and, and power like he did on the Sermon on the Mount, he would intentionally preach a sermon that seemed like a dud. He would begin to talk in ways that the crowds would be like, what is this man talking about? And so we see this in the Gospel of Matthew. We finished off a few months ago and at the end of November in, in Matthew chapter 12. In the last section of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is, is chopping it up. He's preaching. He's doing his thing. And he's inside of a house. And uh, his parents, his mother comes along with his siblings. And they want to talk to Jesus. I mean, he hasn't been the best son in their perspective. He's got this, this traveling ministry. And they're like, man, you're going a little too far with what you're doing. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? And then he raises his hand. He says, it's those who do the will of the Father pointing to the disciples. And could you imagine the separation that his brother James must have felt? His sisters? His mother? Could you imagine how people in the crowd must have begun to think, like, what exactly is he selling us? Like, the people that he's closest to aren't his blood relatives, but rather his disciples or people who are doing his father's will? Well, in today's text, we're going to see that Jesus is going to continue uh, to challenge the crowd, and he's going to do this by speaking a a parable about a, a sower. And parables are a figure of speeches that are kind of thrown alongside of of other things that have been taught. Normally, they're figure of speeches that should uh, bring more understanding. It's wisdom literature, the use of similes and metaphors, stories of other ways of creative communication. But we'll see that Jesus is going to use these small stories. He's going to use seven of them um, in this next section of Matthew this third discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And rather than use them just to bring clarity, he's actually going to to use these stories to bring separation. And each of these stories have something in common, and that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is life with God under his rule. God has been establishing his kingdom from the very beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But we know that Jesus came preaching this kingdom as as his kingdom was most explicit and present in his king, Jesus. And so Jesus over and over in these short stories are going to 
compare things that the crowd were familiar with and show how the kingdom of God is like that. In the Agarian society, he's going to say the kingdom of God is like over and over. And he's going to use these stories, use these pictures to compare God's kingdom to these various things. And in today's text, it's, it's the sower. And the reason I call this the parable of the sower and not the parable of the soil is because Jesus tagged this text, the parable of the sower, in verse 18. Jesus wants to teach us something about God and, and how he sows seeds. But he also wants to teach us something about ourselves and, and answering the question, why is it that some people walk away from hearing Jesus preach and they have understanding and they grow and other people don't? Why is it that some disciples who follow Jesus will continue to follow Jesus and bear much fruit and some are going to receive the message of Jesus and slowly fade away? Jesus is going to teach in a profound way that is meant to help us as disciples, us as spiritual farmers, us who have been called to sow the gospel of the kingdom generously to know what is happening behind the scenes in in people's hearts when the message goes forth. And so Jesus gives us this parable, and we see four types of soil. The first is a soil that is along a path, a path that has been walked on, a path in which there is uh, not room for seed to take root. And in this first picture of so this soil, we see that birds come and they devour the seed. Second is a rocky ground, and there's minimum soil on the rocky ground, and there seems to be quick growth, but the sun comes and scorches it, and it withers away. The third is that there are thorns. A farmer is just throwing out the seed, and some of the seed falls upon thorns. And Jesus says that the thorns choke out the seed. And then finally, the seed is, falls upon good ground. And it's in this good ground that the seed uh, is, is well-nurtured and, and cared for, and it produces an abundant crop, br- abundant fruit, 100, 600, 30 times the amount that it was sown. Now, I want you to imagine, you're, you heard that Jesus is in Capernaum, everybody knows where he's staying, and you're excited. You never heard Jesus preach, and everybody's talking about Jesus, and everybody's got an opinion about him, and, and people are like getting into arguments and, 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 and wondering, is he the Messiah, and the Pharisees are angry at him, and they're starting to kick people out the synagogues who are saying that he is the Messiah, and I want you to imagine you come with your cousin Nuke Nuke, right? And you hear, and your cousin Nuke Nuke like, yo, you got to hear Jesus preach or Jill, whoever. Whoever you come with, you come with your cousin, all right? My cousin is Nuke Nuke, all right? And so we come and we hear Jesus preach and you see him. And you're like, man, this is unreal. I finally get to see Jesus preach and I finally get to be here. And it's like thousands of people there. He walks out the house. He goes by the Sea um, of Galilee and you see disciples getting in the boat with him and they move from shore. And Jesus takes a position of, of teaching, a position of a rabbi. He sits down and he begins to speak. All of these crowds of people and he's in the water. Everybody else is on shore. His voice bounces off the water. And you're thinking, man, he's off to a slow start. I'm not sure what he's talking about right now. And then you start to nod a little bit. And then you look at your cousin like, man, I thought you said he was clear, that he spoke as one with authority, and that he was like a powerful speaker. 
Like you told me about this time when you were on the mountain with him and he like killed it. But he's speaking in parables and it feels like I'm walking through a maze. And this was intentional by Jesus. And every time you leave Sojourn and I preach and you don't know what I'm preaching about, I want you to know it was intentional. That's good preaching. No, I'm just joking. Amen. <laughs> I'm joking, right? No, that's just, yeah, anyway. Uh, and so Jesus intentionally is preaching in a way that brings revelation and separation. He intentionally allows crowds to gather. And oftentimes in the book of Matthew, when he's on a mountain, it's clear, it's prophetic. People saying, leave saying, what a teacher. He preaches as one who has authority, as one who is the author of our souls. But also we see in Matthew that sometimes when he's in the valley, when he's not on a mountain, it seems like he's intentionally teaching in ways that only his disciples will come to understand what he's talking about. And so his disciples, they go up to him afterwards, and I'm just using my holy imagination here, and they're like, yo, Jesus, that sermon wasn't all that great. Like, can you help us to understand what you were talking about? And then Jesus answers and says this, because of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given for them. In other words, I spoke uh, uh, without uh, uh, clarity um, because uh, the secrets of the kingdom of God is for you to know. It's for this moment, for me to explain it to you, not for the crowds. Not for the crowds. For whoever has more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And this is a picture of discipleship. Those who commit their lives to following Jesus are those whose lives are going to produce more and more fruit. They're going to come into the knowledge of Jesus more and more. As Paul says, from one degree of glory to another, but those who don't. The little bit that they do have, the word that they do receive throughout their life is going to, going to probably become less and less. Verse 13, and that is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking they do not see and hearing they do not listen or understand. And so throughout the Gospels we see that some people are following Jesus not because they want to make him Lord. But they've come to him because they want him to fulfill specific expectations. Some of them are just following him because they're hoping that he's the Messiah and that they, as, as, as the Hebrew people and as a nation, will come into prominence and uproot uh, the Roman government. In fact, many of them are probably there because they're hearing these rumors of the Messiah and they want to see Israel re return back to its place of dominance. We see in other gospel accounts, especially in John uh, chapter 6, that some people was following Jesus just for the miracles. Uh, they they want to be healed. They, they want more. They heard that he can uh, uh, bring uh, uh, bread and, and, and uh, out, of, out of nowhere and feed people. People are following for different reasons. But Jesus uses preaching moments sometimes to, to separate. And then he quotes Isaiah 6. You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their 
ears are hard for hearing and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back. Man, and I will heal them. So Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. We know that Jesus is often using the Old Testament and, and masterful ways, sometimes to prove his messiahship, other times to do as he is doing here and, and just explaining spiritual phenomenons. And here we see that Jesus points back to Isaiah's words and he applies it to this crowd. And he's talking about the callousness of their own heart, their own blindness, and their own deafness. And we see that there's a, a bit of human responsibility here. These people are where they are because they are not truly seeking the Lord. They're where they are because they are blind. And no matter how much I preach to them, how much I minister to them, because of the state of their hearts, they won't hear. But we also see this other phenomenon that's working, this other dynamic in the text, that the reason that people are blind and part of the reason that people do not see and they can't perceive with their heart is because they have not been given the understanding that they need. Verse 11, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know. This is a reminder that salvation is both by the grace of God, but there's also human responsibility. There's this, this mysterious uh, working that, that, that is happening in the hearts of people as they hear the message of God. And this is Jesus' point. He's looking at this glass uh, uh, from a, a perspective that's half full, not half empty. In other words, he's sharing these deep, intricate things about the kingdom of God, about what's happening in people's heart, about while some come into special uh, salvific revelation and others don't, by pointing to the fact that those who have received and those who are good soil, they have received and they are good soil by grace. They are those who are blessed. Blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. The point of Jesus' Jesus' parable is this to his disciples, blessed happy, flourishing are you because you have been given the gift of the kingdom, Matthew. You who once was a tax collector, you who were in, in, in the pit of your sin, separated from God, you who was viewed as a traitor by your own people are now walking alongside the Messiah. And it's not because you were so smart. It's not because you were so good. It's not because of your intelligence, but it's because of the grace of God. God has given you the kingdom. This is a, this is a tough doctrine. This is a a tough thing to wrestle with, but we wrestle with it knowing that God is all wise, that God is just, that God is compassionate, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But we also wrestle with this knowing that every single human being deserves God's wrath. And for those who have been saved by God, he's already done for us more than we deserve. For all have gone astray. No one has sought after the Lord. But the Lord in his kindness has chosen to be merciful to some and to save. Jesus spoke in parables to bring revelation and separation. 
And a disciple is not a person who is just simply in the crowd. It's not a person who is intrigued with Jesus. A disciple is a person who has committed their life to Jesus. They have reoriented everything about themselves around him. A disciple is not a person who realizes that they need help. A disciple is a person who has come to realize that they need saving, that they are drowning, that they are hopeless, that they are dead, and that their only hope is in Jesus Christ, not their good works, not their pedigree, not their ability. That God saves by faith alone and by grace alone in Christ alone. And so Jesus goes and he explains this parable and he takes these soils and he goes into a a little deeper explanation with with his disciples. He talks about the the path in which the seed was sown and how birds devoured it. And he says, listen, this is what's happening. And imagine this. This is what Jesus is doing. He's constantly preaching to crowds and he's explaining to the disciples that this is what's happening in the crowds as I preach, as I'm sowing seeds. As I'm talking about the kingdom, as I'm talking about the Father, this is what's happening. Some people are hearing the word, and it never takes root because of spiritual warfare, because of the evil one, because of Satan. And some people are like that rocky ground where there's minimum soil, and they respond to the word, and they're pumped up. They leave church, and they're like, yo, that sermon was dope. I've got joy. And they are happy on Sunday and Monday or happy for a few months or happy for a year. But as soon as persecution comes as a result of Jesus, as a result of the word that was sown, they they wither away. Jesus says the sun comes and scorches them. And others are like thorns, like the seed that was thrown amongst thorns. Their heart receives the word, but slowly they're choking. The worries of this world is just choking them out. Fitting in is choking them to death. Moving up the social economic ladder is choking them to death. Having life go the way that they absolutely have to have it to go or desire to go. And because it's not, it's choking them to death. And, and what happens when their dreams don't work out or pan out the way that they needed it to pan out, or when that better job calls, come, uh, calls and, and even though it's going to take you away from the family of God and being faithful to Jesus because you have to go up to that, it chokes out the seed that was received. And he says, but there is a soil that is good soil. And what happens is when the word goes out, it it falls upon that good soil and those nutrients and the sun and and, and the rain and and all those those beautiful things come together. and, And before you know it, that person bears fruit. And what one person bears is not what another person bears. One person bears 100, another 60, another 30. Now, remember, this is Agarian culture. People who are hearing this, they understand that this fruit is not coming up all at once. It's over time. He says this is what's going on in people's hearts. So what do we do with this parable? What's Jesus' intent here? 
Now, Jesus is preaching this to the disciples, and I believe presenting a text to our best of our ability in the way that Matthew presented it. Uh, Jesus doesn't necessarily rebuke uh, the disciples here or say, uh, go do this or go do that, but rather he's presenting these truths to them, helping them to understand what's, what's happening. And I think as, as listeners and as disciples, uh, some, some simple application that they would, would draw away is, one, man, is guard, guard your heart. Is don't take the word of God and where you are for granted. It is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Pace yourself by, by, by guarding your heart against worldliness and deceit. It was Paul told Timothy about another disciple that was walking with them by the name of Demas. And Paul says, Demas for, forsook us because he was in, in love with the things of the world. And for some of us, worldliness, worldly aspirations is choking us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added in him. Paul gives us the invitation to hide ourselves in Christ. Find your identity in the one who lived and died and rose on your behalf, who is interceding for you and who is soon to return, not in what other people think about you. Not in your definition of success, but his. Jesus tells us that all these other things are going to pass away to not store up our, our treasures on earth with rust and moth uh, destroy, but to, to store up our treasures in heaven where neither rust or moth can get to. Guard your heart by sitting under the word of God and making it your chief priority to experience the presence of God, to know God through the seeds that he has sown. But not only that, is this text should cause the disciples to be grateful, <laughs> to be grateful. I mean, verse 16, yo, I preached this message so that those who don't understand would not understand, and those who are truly following me, those who are truly committed will continue to press in. In other words, he's like, yo, this church is getting too big, and most of the people in here aren't covenant members. And so I'm going to have to stir some stuff up. You see him do this throughout the gospel, John chapter 6. crowd of people follow him after he uh, takes the boy's lunch and, and turns it into a buffet. And everybody's like, yo, it's free chicken over here. Yo, he must be the Messiah. Imagine if he becomes king. We all eat for free, right? And Jesus is like, yo, okay, I see, I see y'all. Okay, uh, whoever's going to follow after me must eat my blood, drink my blood, and eat my flesh. They're like, say what? <laughs> he preaches a whole sermon on how you had to eat his body and drink his blood. They're like, we out. And Peter's like, uh, Jesus? <laughs> like, it, it's kind of hit or miss lately, you know? 
Jesus, the point of doing that is so that those who truly are committed to him, so that they would press in more, that they wouldn't just hear, but they, they would come to a place of understanding. And that's really the, the impetus of this text is understanding. These other soils, when they're mentioned, the thing that's, that's emphasized is, is people who hear the word. But what separates good soil from bad soil is understanding. And Jesus is, is emphasizing that. Look at verse 23. It's the only uh, soil that, that says this, but the one sown on good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word. They hear and understand. And how are they understanding? They're understanding because they're pressing more into their teacher. When they don't understand something, they, they ask questions. They sit at his feet. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. But in understanding this, blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. We have to understand that this is not our own work. That the reason you are in Christ may be as opposed to a sibling or a friend. The reason you are in Christ and, and they are in Christ is not because you were able to get it. And because you're smarter and it all made sense. It's because the Spirit tilled your heart and allowed your heart to be good soil. And that should create a gratitude and a gratefulness in us that, that causes us to fight against apathy and to become farmers that sow the seed of the kingdom, realizing that I once was lost and now I found I was blind, but now I see. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the apostle Paul is talking to the church of Corinth and he explains this well. Verse 10, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. If you are in Christ and you understand and you are growing to understand more about Jesus and more about his kingdom, it is a gift from God. And Paul would later write the church of Corinth and say, what do you have that you have not received? And since you have received it, how then can you boast? How can you be arrogant if, if what you have received is a gift from God? You can't. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. If you're able to see the thing behind a thing, if you're able to have a worldview that, 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 that shows you that God is good and he created all things, and that, that all things begin to come apart because of, of human sin, but that God sent his son Jesus in the world to, to reconcile the world back to God. And that whoever calls upon the name of this Messiah, the name of Jesus, will be saved. And that God is in the process of restoring and making all things new. And that everyone who turns and trusts Jesus will one day see him face to face and live in a kingdom of perfection and beauty and live the good life as it was intended. If you understand that, listen... That is a gift from God. And you have been called to steward that not with pride, but with humility.
The last encouragement from this text is, is to sow seeds. It's those who have been given the secrets of the kingdom, who have received salvation, man, generously, faithfully, regularly, sow seeds of the kingdom. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, Matthew chapter 9, but the workers are few. This picture of God, this parable of the sower, is not a God who's stingy with the message of the kingdom. But it's a God who is generous. In fact, most farmers, when they read this text, they're like, what is this man doing? Why in the world is he just sowing seeds like crazy to ground that has not been tilled or, or ground that doesn't seem to be good? It's because God is a generous God who, who wants to get the message out. And the harvest is plentiful. And we who have been saved by grace are those who are called to preach the word. And, and, and part of what Jesus is doing here is helping his disciples to not be discouraged when he sees, when they see people turning away, when they see people rejecting the message. This is what Paul said. This, this message of the gospel is an aroma of life to some and an aroma of death to others. But you and I's job is not, is not to become discouraged when people turn away and to take it personal, but rather to understand that there's a lot going on in people's hearts. And our job is just to faithfully sow, believing that God is a God who will bring, who will bring a, a, a fruitful harvest. And so to that parent who's here today and you've been sowing that seed to that child and you're discouraged because that child has wandered away from the faith or, or never came to the faith, I want to encourage you to keep sowing seeds Keep being a model. Keep being an example because, because that child may come to faith. They may not come to faith in your lifetime. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear but didn't hear them. Keep planting, sowing seeds. It takes a while for oak trees to matriculate. And for some people, it takes a while for that seed to be watered and to grow. Keep sowing seed. Keep preaching the gospel to your neighbors. Keep preaching the gospel to your coworkers. Keep preaching the gospel to your spouse. Keep preaching the gospel to your friends. And persevere. Not only persevere in preaching, but persevere in living for Jesus. The waste is not given to the swift, or, nor is it given to the crafty, but to he or she who perseveres to the end. Some of you are, are teetering right now in your faith, and you're on a, a line. And, and you're wondering if you should continue to press into Jesus. I, I want to warn you to not allow the evil one, Satan, to snatch that seed, to not allow the thorns of life to choke it out, to not allow the rocks of life to crowd out Jesus, but rather to know that the race is not given to the swift, but to he or she who perseveres to the end. Persevere. Make it your goal to persevere to the end. Do what you need to do to guard your heart. Do what you need to do to be reconnected to, to the word. Do what you need to do to be refreshed in the gospel. Beg God, plead with them, beg them to, to, to make your heart alive to him, to revive your soul, to give you the desire to want to go deeper in him so that you can bear more fruit. 
And if you've been stuck in the same place for multiple years and you aren't growing, be warned. Anything that's not growing is dead. And rather than continuing on the path, fall to your knees and beg Jesus to give you heart and soil to to, to, to unearth some things that's going on inside you so that you can see why he isn't more beautiful to you. Kind of like marriage. For a lot of people, when they first get married, they're really excited about their, their spouse, and it's just, things are just perfect. You just, the person can't do anything wrong. But in marriage, things become harder over the years. And you, you, don't, you probably don't have the same feelings you had when you first got married or when you first started dating. I remember when I first started dating my wife, she would walk in a room. I don't care who was in her, everything stopped. If she sneezed and was across the room, I was going to yell, bless you. <laughs> right now, she walks in a room. I'm like, man, she's still fine. I love her. Uh, she sneezed. I, I may not yell, bless you, but my love for her has grown deeper because we've been through some stuff. The feelings and emotions may not be there, but the resolution and the love has actually matured and gone deeper. And so you may not feel the same way you felt when you first followed Jesus. But make sure you are allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate a heart where you're resolved to love him, to submit to his word, and to grow in understanding has deepened. And I'd rather have a faith and a love that is deeper in commitment than one that is just built off infatuation. Amen? It's interesting, Jesus' ministry... We see the crowds respond to Jesus this way. We see this within the disciples. Jesus preaches, and there are some, and we see this throughout the Pharisees, who they hear him preach, they see him do a miracle, and they just respond in an evil way. They call him a demon. He must be demon-possessed. Why? Because as soon as they heard the message, as soon as they heard the miracle, Satan came and snatched it away. And there's others who received the message of Jesus, maybe like the rich young ruler that we're going to learn about, who hears the word, and he receives it with joy. He's like, what do I have to do to follow you? And Jesus is like, yo, go sell everything and follow me. But Jesus knows that his riches has, has choked him out. There's others like Judas who follow him for three years. And because Jesus doesn't come in the way that he thinks he should come, he betrays him for a few pieces of silver. But then there's other disciples who receive the word and who wrestle with the word, who betray him, who fall, who seem to not be following him, but they stay with it. They have grit. The Spirit allows them to persevere. And though it's not pretty and, and though it's been some ugly times, some highs and some lows, at the end of their life, they can look back and see some fruit. And that's a picture of Christianity. 
is persevering with both passion and grit. And every Sunday when we gather together, we take a meal called communion. It's a meal to remind ourselves that Jesus is the seed that was sown into the world and that the way in which fruit came out was through, through death. We take bread and we break it. We drink from a cup, either wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread and we dip it in wine or juice. Again, the wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. But we do this every week to rehearse the gospel. Jesus says, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. You do this to remember what I've done for you on the cross. You do this to remind yourself of my, my love for you. And for many of us in here today, this sermon is convicting as we look at our own heart and we're like, man, life is kind of choking me. And it's, it's, it's getting me to doubt whether or not God loves me or whether or not this thing called Christianity is true. And when we take this meal together, we get to look around at all these other gritty people who are picking up their cross daily and following him. And we're reminded by God's grace and God's spirit, and that we know the secrets of the kingdom, and we dip it in that wine or juice, remembering what Christ has done for us. So let's do introspection, and let's pray, Lord, make my heart susceptible to your word. Help me to guard my life, to watch my life and my doctrine. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.